0: This is the On The Banks Podcast, presented by SB Nation. Welcome to the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Petuto, here on recording on a beautiful Wednesday morning. The show will be out on Thursday. But as I record the day before, just getting through the process of calling, um tow truck you know i came away with a flat tire this morning so really tough start to the day but again it's hard to be hard to be negative hard to be in a bad mood when the weather starts to change football is here football is in full swing you know fall is in the air winter is coming and it's just the best time of year and unintentionally creating a segue off of a flat tire into Rutgers football The tough start to my day, just like the tough start that Rutgers had against Iowa when you look at two defensive touchdowns by the Hawkeyes. So, unintentional segue there, but happy accident as we begin to discuss football here on Ohio State Week. We're going to stick to football this week. I have an interview with Stephen Means of Cleveland.com coming up to break down the Buckeyes. And, of course, we will preface that interview with... You know, Ohio State being a national title contender, this game is a 40-point spread as of now. It's not going to be close. But again, Rutgers fans need to look for different things in their team, so we're going to break down some of those things moving forward and discuss a little bit of the Iowa game, as well as breaking down the power rankings in the Big Ten. That's a fun conversation topic. It's a good one to have when you look at the entire conference as a whole. And it's one that is... Can be done every couple weeks. This is, you know, we're through four weeks of the season. You know, 12 games on the schedule is something we could do three times a year. Just kind of look at how the conference is breaking down what we like, what we don't like, looking at all of the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Big Ten to this point. The game on Saturday, it's hard to say it wasn't disappointing for Rutgers and for their fans. I understand Iowa came in as a seven and a half point favorite. I picked Iowa to win the game. I'm sure the popular vote was on Iowa. A lot of the money had to be on Iowa. But a 7 o'clock kick, Fox Sports 1, Rutgers, you know, sells out the game. It's a scarlet out. A lot of school spirit there. And to come out and perform the way that they did, it's a little disappointing to see. I am not a Rutgers fan, admittedly. But watching... I understand. Watching this team over the last three years, I understand what Greg Shiano means by this team should be in the Big Ten. Let's start there. They should be. Athletically, they're improved in every sport. Obviously, we know about the women's soccer team, the field hockey team, even men's basketball, one of the more popular sports. Two straight NCAA tournament appearances with uh, what should have been a third. Obviously, the 2020 tournament canceled because of covid the football team has been the team that struggled to compete. And this was expected. When you're as low as they were during the Chris Ash era, it's hard to build back up, especially with the national powerhouses that are in the Big Ten. So we knew it was going to take some time. Well, it's time to start really, really ramping this up. They've had trouble keeping talent at home in recent years. That's something Greg Schiano has improved upon. But they're still not there yet. And Saturday was a showing. This is a struggling Iowa team. This is an offense that has looked dead. Spencer Petris has struggled. They have injuries on the outside of wide receiver. The running game hasn't really gotten going. But they have an elite defense. We knew that. I said on the site, it had to be six or seven times in different articles, on podcasts, in my interviews. Do not turn the ball over. Rutgers cannot give Iowa a spark on defense. Not only did they turn the ball over early, but it turned into touchdowns. Evan Simon throws up, uh, a, uh, throws up a prayer off his back foot. Cooper DeGene picks it off and basically returns it like a punt. It looked like a 60-yard punt return the way he was running with the football. And then Iowa gets a perfect bounce on a fumble. They're able to take that into the end zone. And 14 points in that game felt like the game was over. You didn't have confidence in Rutgers scoring 14 points in that game against that defense. And they didn't. 27-10 final. I feel for those who had the under in that game, Kirk Ferentz decides to kick a field goal when he never kicks a 50-plus yard field goal in that situation, up two scores. I'm very surprised they didn't punt that ball, especially you know with the lead late in the game, the way the Rutgers offense was going. So I feel for those betters for sure. But we also saw the the good, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of Evan Simon this season. He's a pocket passer. He has a decent arm. His accuracy has not been good. And he's not very mobile. But at this point, who's the best option under center for Rutgers? Everything starts and ends with the the quarterback position. Obviously, that's the most important position on the football field. And for Rutgers, they have options that are not complete options. You hear it all the time. If you go into a season with multiple quarterbacks, you don't have one quarterback. And unfortunately, Rutgers is in that situation where it does not have that option under center, Noah Vedral has been the starter for the past two years. He knows the offense well. He's the smartest player in that quarterback room. He has that going for him, and he uses his legs very, very well. At the same time, he struggles with consistency, and he struggles to get the ball down the field because of his arm strength. When you look at Gavin Wimsat, he's more of the raw player, the most athletic player, another option who could use his legs. He has the size and is going to continue to get bigger. Let's remember, he's just the age of a true freshman, having entered the um, Rutgers last year as a high school senior, age of a high school senior. He's going to continue to improve, but another guy who has not been able to throw the ball consistently and show accuracy. He's got turnovers this year, and that's something that'll fix. He's the future of this team, but again, he's got ways to go. And then when you look at Evan Simon, he's just appeared in 10 games for Rutgers over the course of his career. This is really the first season where he's getting consistent time and against Iowa, it was really the first time he was handed the keys to the offense. He's a more of a pocket passer. But again, we've seen the accuracy issues. He's unable to, to hit open guys. He's not a quarterback that can make every throw on a football field. And that reared a Ted against Iowa. Defensively, Rutgers has been stout. They were stout again. They've stopped the run to this point of the season. Iowa rushed for 140 yards in the game. They made it difficult on Spencer Petris. and again, giving up only 13 points when you look at the two defensive scores, and three of them being on a long field goal at the end of the game. The Rutgers defense has been the bright spot to this point. This remains a big reason why Rutgers has been unable to find consistency over the years and climb up the standings in the Big Ten, and that leads us into the power rankings. Something that I put out every week on the On The Bank site, just for talking points, Keep people updated on where um, the standings are, how teams are looking, who looks good, who looks bad. And again, just to get some conversation going. It's a fun exercise to do. And it's important to talk about. At the end of the day, this is a Rutgers podcast. Rutgers is in the Big Ten. Goes hand in hand. So we're going to touch on this now. Then we'll talk about this again at the end of October. Then once again at the end of the season, just different things to listen to, different things to think about. As the Big Ten schedule begins, this is also a good time to touch on it because week five will be the first week that teams are playing Big Ten opponents. There's no non-conference games. Those are done. Those are in the rear view. Teams are going to begin to separate themselves. So it'll be interesting to start from the bottom. And that's where we're going to start and work our way up. Nebraska naturally at the bottom. Scott Frost, it's interesting the way they fired Scott Frost considering they could have waited two more weeks and saved $7.5 But I guess the athletic department wanted to make a statement. If it were me, I would have waited those two weeks because you weren't going to win games without Scott Frost. This team wasn't just going to be naturally better with the change of coaches. It's an internal problem. They need a coach in there to completely change the culture. We've seen Adrian Martinez... A talented quarterback struggle. Scott Frost has completely just diminished Nebraska football, and it wasn't going to be changed in one week. And it was also an odd time to do it, considering they were the Oklahoma game coming up. I don't know if they were trying to set a spark. That's the only thing I could think of is trying to light a fire under the team with Oklahoma coming to town. And it looked good for about what five minutes when they were up seven nothing. And then Oklahoma goes on, scores the next 49 points, so that was quickly thrown out the window. The good thing about Nebraska football, they were on a bye last week, and they have Indiana coming up. Potentially two good things to look forward to. Indiana, again, not looking the part in the Big Ten, but again, there's not many wins on Nebraska's schedule and it's all going to come down to who their next coach is going to be. There's been some, some talk of some names. You know, are they going to look for Urban Meyer? Are they going to try and lure somebody else away? It will be interesting to see, but they need a coach to come in and change the culture right away. And it's it's I don't know if that guy's out there, but it's going to be interesting to see. When you look at other programs such as Northwestern, the fall that they've had over the last two years. You know, Pat Fitzgerald signs his big contract. They're in the Big Ten Championship game, you know, not competing in the Big Ten Championship game, still getting blown out, but being in the game, they bring in Ryan Halinski, an experienced quarterback who wasn't the problem last week. He looked okay, good, not great against Miami, Ohio. Again, the offense scored just 14 points, but there's big problems in Northwestern. This program is not where it used to be. It is not playing at a high level. The defense still looks a little strong, but again, they got shredded by Duke in that first half of that game and were unable to to win. Evan Hall dives towards the end zone, fumbles at the half-yard line. That just seems to be the par for the course right now with this Northwestern program, and it doesn't get any easier as they go to Penn State, who all of a sudden is number 11 in the country. So it's looking like Northwestern is going to stay down another year, and that's another team where there's not many more wins on its schedule. Indiana comes in next on the list after a blowout loss to Cincinnati and credit them for scheduling Cincinnati after making it to the college football playoff now this is not the same Cincinnati team that was in the top four last year this is a team that lost a ton of players to the NFL from last season and come in different with an entirely new group basically and came in and just took it to Indiana a 3-0 Indiana team with a Big Ten victory And they remained low on the power rankings because this is still not a good team. We saw last year the fall of Indiana football. Michael Penix now to Connor Bazelak, and we're seeing what Penix is doing in Washington, all of a sudden turning into a Heisman candidate. Bazelak threw the ball 66 times against Indiana, and that's just not how they're going to win games. And honestly, I don't know how many more games – uh, how many more wins, excuse me, are on Indiana's schedule. I've said this about the first three teams, but it's true for all three. When you look at lack, when you look at the skill positions in Indiana, there's a lot to be desired, and the one victory they had against Illinois was a complete debacle by the Illini to let them back into that game. So Indiana, there's not much hope for them this season, and it'll be interesting to see if they can get back to being the program that they have been over the years. This is the first... Interesting team that we come to now Coming into the season A top 15 team in the nation Now number 11 On my power rankings in the Big Ten Is Michigan State And 11 Is perfect For Michigan State And I know fans, Rutgers fans won't feel bad For the Spartans This season Especially after being a bit Highly ranked And I could kind of see both ways I mean, you lose Kenneth Walker to the NFL, but Peyton Thorne returns, Jalen Reed returns. Like, you have a lot of talent on that team returning. Mel Tucker signs his contract, and Michigan State was supposed to be a contender once again. They start out 2-0. and They struggle against a Western Michigan team in week one, and that was really par for the course. Then you look last week. They get blown out by Penix and Washington on the road. As an underdog, so that game should have been seen coming. What was not seen coming is returning home and losing 34-7 to against Minnesota. And this is weird to say about a game that was 34-7. to It was not that close. Minnesota took control right away, punched Michigan State in the mouth, and that was it. And when you look at Michigan State's schedule, there's not a ton of wins coming up. So it'll be interesting to see what happens for the Spartans. They have Maryland coming up. Then they have to play Ohio State wisconsin and michigan wisconsin might be down a bit but when you look at michigan state i don't think there's any team that's as down they could go a month with another month without a win you know they could blink and be two and six oh and five in the big ten could you imagine that after signing mel tucker to a a huge extension after you know a flash in the pan season what's proving to be a flash in the pan season with the best running back in the nation last year having this kind of season that does not that does not make you feel good about the program you have about the the head coach that you have in place especially when you're returning one of your top wide receivers and your quarterback coming in at number 10 the last double digit team is Purdue and this is a team through four games who is a huge question mark potentially the biggest question mark in the Big 10 even the bad teams in the conference we've seen enough to make a judgment if this is impossible to do against Purdue I mean you're looking at an opening season game at home against Penn State who's now number 11 in the country a game that they blow at the end they look good and offensively but they blow at the end they should have won that game if they could just run the football but you feel good about Purdue moving forward after a, a a game like that you don't feel great about the coaching but you feel good about them as a whole that they could turn it around and potentially get you know some more strong performances especially from the offense Then you go and you lose to Syracuse, which is inexcusable. I don't know. I don't care how Syracuse looks this season. The way that they lost that game, defense completely falling apart in that fourth quarter. There were forty points in the fourth quarter. Purdue entered with a lead, and they're unable to hold on. Twenty-two points in that fourth quarter for Syracuse. Excuse me. They were trailing ten to nine entering the fourth, but still, defense is strong. You're there. Your offense is able to put points up. And you just can't hold that lead. That's inexcusable loss there. And then you come out last week, and it's an unimpressive victory against Florida Atlantic. And I know Aiden O'Connell was injured. Austin Burton took over under center and played well. Again, didn't play great, but played well. Well enough to win. But 28-26 over Florida Atlantic. We have no idea what Purdue is to this point. Because you look at their next game, they're going to Minnesota. Or a red hot minnesota team we've seen purdue in the past pull off these upsets last year was iowa this year it could be minnesota but they could also go into this game and and get killed and show us that purdue is not the the competitive team that we thought they would be in the big 10 we just have no idea i think it's fair to say that purdue right now is the biggest question mark because other teams have identities you know what's good you know what's bad purdue for outside of the coaching, which might be bad. Purdue just might be a bad team, and we're going to find out over the course of their schedule. And here at number nine, we come to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights coming off a disappointing 27-10 to loss at Iowa, coming off a week where they were ranked sixth in the power rankings, which many fans thought was too high. But again, a 3-0 and team, Victor- a road victory against Boston College. You blow out Wagner. Weak performance against Temple, but you win the game. Rutgers not, isn't good enough to just throw their helmets on the field and win a game. We know that. Wagner's the one of the worst FCS programs in the country, one of the worst programs in the country. Yes, they have to beat that team like they did. But against a team like Temple, a Division I FBS team like Temple, they're not good enough to just throw their hats out there. It's it's just a fact. And I know they blew them out last year, but again, you don't take that into this season, especially with, with the play under center. So Rutgers comes in falls back to number nine after two defensive touchdowns for iowa 27 to 10 and look i i spoke about this earlier in the show it comes down to the quarterback play and right now Rutgers does not have that option because you're seeing the defense play well you're seeing the the running backs play well the offensive line is continuing to gel they're not a finished product they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but they're improving and Rutgers play under centers is not getting any better. It's just not. And I and I don't see a way that it does this season. And that doesn't make for a good um outcome. But with that being said, Indiana's on the schedule. Nebraska's on the schedule. They still gotta play Maryland, who's considerably considerably better right now. But a rivalry game, a game they won on the road two years ago. So there might be some wins on the schedule. But right now, Rutgers comes in at nine and it's because that offense It's just not getting it done and unknown if they're going to get it done moving forward. At number eight, we have Illinois. Again, another team we really don't know much about. If Purdue's the biggest question mark, I'm still going to say Illinois is number two because is this a fun team? Is this a scrappy team? It's certainly not a good team by any stretch of the imagination, but are they bad like previous years? It was an inexcusable loss to Indiana, the aforementioned loss to Indiana. To open open-up conference play, but they went 3-0 in non-conference play. Shout-out Chattanooga this past week. But to this point, Brett Bielema, Illinois, Illinois, it's impossible to buy in. I don't think you could buy stock in Illinois and feel good about the product that they have moving forward. And, again, there's not much to say. They're going to Wisconsin this week, and we're really going to find out what Illinois is there. So there's not much to say about this Illini team. Moving into their opponent at number seven is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin was eight last week. They moved up a spot to seven despite losing by 30. You don't see that a whole lot. But that's just because of the outcomes of the other games in the Big Ten. Graham Murch is just not – you know, he's not it. He's not the player that they thought he was going to be coming in, and that showed. You have to take a blowout loss to Ohio State with a grain of salt. Now, I know that's hard for fans to hear you don't want to get killed in any game, but this is a team that's so far ahead of everybody else in the country other than Alabama and Georgia, and I include Michigan in that, is so far ahead of any other team except for Alabama and Georgia that you can't expect them to, you know, get tripped up in the Big Ten. Now there's gonna be might be a game or two where teams compete, they have to play Penn State, they have to play Michigan, but a loss like that for Wisconsin, it shouldn't rattle them. The loss that rattles them and keeps them where they are in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten is Washington State. That's an inexcusable loss. That's a game that Wisconsin cannot lose. And honestly, if the Big Ten wasn't as tumultuous as it is, Wisconsin would be lower because of that loss. That's one that's going to haunt them all season because you can't – having that non-conference loss, that bad non-conference loss, 17-14 to 14 against a bad Washington State team, that just can't happen. And – Again, we're going to find out what Wisconsin is moving forward. We're going to find out if Braylon Allen can continue showing what he's done because he he looked like one of the best running backs in the league last in the country last year. Excuse me, certainly one of the best in the Big Ten coming in with Travion Henderson. Making the biggest leap in the power rankings is Iowa again because they're three and one, one and zero in the Big Ten now. And again, the rest of the conference has just it was not a good week for the Big Ten. The offense is a massive concern in Ames, and that's nor that it should be. It should be a concern because Spencer Petrus has not looked good. But what he needs to start doing is throw the ball to Sam Laporta, and Rutgers might have exposed that because Sam Laporta was able to get comfortable in that game. He's clearly the best offensive weapon that Iowa has, and he could be the the safety blanket. He could be the playmaker for Iowa to get the offense a little bit up as this defense continues to play at an elite level. 14 points in that game, it was over. The defense scored 14. That game was over right away, and they were able to coast on a game where Rutgers came out with plenty of energy. The crowd was hyped, You know, tailgating all day, preparing for this game. Iowa shut that down right away. Beginning the top five, we have Maryland. And as I stated in the write-up about this, it's time to say that Maryland might be a good football team. This isn't saying they're great. They're not national national level. They're not going to be ranked. They might be ranked. A good win on here will get them ranked. But I'm not saying that they're going to be into the top 25. But there's wins coming up on the schedule. and it begins with Michigan State. This is a dangerous offense. Tolua Tagovoy-Loa is experienced. He's back again. Has his offense rolling. Defense isn't good, but it isn't great. Excuse me, but it's good enough. And Maryland was able to go in to the big house in Ann Arbor and almost win a game. They had a chance to steal that game. They're physical. They're athletic. If they cannot turn the ball over, that's been a problem for Loa. If they cannot turn the ball over, Maryland's going to be dangerous. Yeah, you know, We saw that against Michigan. They were able to move the ball against that Michigan defense on the road. That's an impressive thing to do. Maryland, they're not that sexy team. Mike Loxley is Mike not the uh, coach that you think of you know, when you think of the best coaches in the country, but right now they got something working and they have playmakers at a lot of the important positions coming in at number four. We start to get into the ranked teams for, um, the big 10. It's actually one that's ranked higher at number three, but number four is number 11 Penn state coming off a very matter of fact, victory against central Michigan. That's one where they just, you know, rolled their helmets on the field. They were a better team size, skill, physicality, athleticism, and just really showed that did not cover the spread. Um, and it's time for Penn State to begin their conference schedule, but they might have to wait another week considering they're playing Northwestern this week, another game where they should roll. I mentioned turnovers when it comes to Maryland. Same can be said about Sean Clifford. We've seen egregious turnovers from Sean Clifford. You know, the one against Purdue sticks out where he missed a wide-open guy over the middle, and Purdue's able to take it back for a touchdown to swing that game in their direction before, obviously, the Boilermakers end up losing it. If Clifford can be the game manager... You know, using his legs, not doing too much with his arm, hitting his playmakers. I mean, Parker Parker Washington and Lambert Smith are are good wide receivers in the Big Ten. So they have the options there. If if you've read anything on on the banks, you know I'm not a huge fan of James Franklin. They kind of have to win in spite of James Franklin. But if Clifford does not turn the ball over, he has the experience. He's been there before. He knows what to do. The defense is elite. The defense is very good. But are they as good as Ohio State, as Michigan? We're going to find out because it's on their schedule. They haven't been in years past, but this could be a new Nittany Lion team. Again, they keep – all of a sudden, Penn State is is churning out wide receivers. right? You look at Jahan Dotson. You look at uh, guys like that. Saquon Barkley, obviously, at the running back position. But they've had some skill position players that have made it to the next level and been successful. So don't sleep on Penn State this season. It feels like you're waiting for that year for Penn State to take that next step in the Big Ten, but they continue to just have that loss. And once they, it's like once they lose a game, that's it, season's over, and they, they show it on the field. And remember 2020, they started out 0-5, one. you know ended up winning out, but you're 0-5, that's it, season's over. So it'll be interesting to see if Franklin can rally the guys after a loss because there's going to be some losses. Penn State's not going undefeated this season. Another team that's very good, but again, not going to go undefeated, is Minnesota. And you talk about returning studs. You look at Tanner Morgan, 23 for 46, 268 yards, three scores against Michigan State. Mo Ibrahim, who tore up Ohio State in the opener last year before going down with an injury, rushed for 100 yards for the Gophers as they go for 240 on the ground against Michigan State that was a big show me game for 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 Minnesota and they showed out they were 3-0 in the non-conference going into Big 10 play confident and really just stepped on Michigan State's throat and said listen we're here you know we might be one of the best teams in the Big 10 and we're going to show it there's been a lot of talk about P.J. Fleck. Is he good? Is he not? Is he the guy? Can he lead a team? Can he find the consistency as a head coach after a good good season a couple of years ago? And a few mediocre ones. But having the talent that he has back, he's really shown that he might be. We all know who the top two teams are, so we won't spend a lot of time on this. But we do have to point out that Michigan might have played the worst non-conference schedule that we have seen in History, that's obviously an exaggeration. But when you look at their non-conference games, I mean, they open the season with Colorado State, they play a bad Hawaii team, and then they host UConn. That's as bad as it gets in the non-conference. So yes, they scored 50 points the first three games. They only gave up 17 in three games, less than six per game. But you take all of that with a grain of salt. And I know there's people out there that are going to say, whether they're Michigan fans or not, you still have to play the games these you know these are Division one teams, Michigan still has to beat them the, way- yes, I get all that, but if you're a top five team, you were in the playoff last year you're expecting to be back with Ohio State in in that last game of the year to get to the big Ten title game, and you can't schedule another opponent, and I get why he did it. you can't tell me that it wasn't because of the quarterback battle. Jim Harbaugh wanted to schedule these easy easy opponents so he can nail down a quarterback, and that's smart. Heading into conference play, he wasn't sure Cade McNamara or JJ McCarthy. Now, over the past couple weeks, we've seen JJ McCarthy be the guy, and that's kind of interesting considering the the success that Cade McNamara had. Now McCarthy's the you know the high recruit, highly touted recruit, big arm, all this, and he played well against Maryland, eighteen for twenty six, two hundred twenty and two touchdowns, but it's all about this defense. Can this defense be at the level that it was last year? Because Blake Corum's a stud. If McCarthy ends up being what they hope, he's a stud. This is going to be a team that can compete and will have to, you know, find a way to shut down its opponents. So it's going to be going to be interesting to see if the if the defense can be as good. Obviously, losing Aiden, Aiden Hudgens is a big um, knock, but right now, Michigan number four in the country is showing that it could be the same team as last year. And, of course, number one, Ohio State. If anybody had anybody but Ohio State coming into the season as number one or to this point, they're just wrong. I get Michigan beat them last year. Michigan won the Big Ten, was in the playoff. That doesn't matter. Throw all that out. Ohio State returned. C.J. Stroud. Travion Henderson's back. Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, even though he's missed some time, he's back in the fold. And we're seeing guys like Emeka Igbuka, and Marvin Harrison Jr. Julian Fleming, when he's on the field, step up, so there's a lot of talent on this team, a better defense than they've had in previous years, and just the the offense, one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country c j chef running away with the Heisman, as they say through four games, I mean they're scoring fifty points at will they scored seventy seven against Toledo. They have a chance to put fifty or sixty on Rutgers this week. Ohio State's a machine, they're up there with Bama and Georgia. Those are the three best teams in the country. I don't think it's close. Michigan could be four. Clemson could be five. I don't think any of them's close. And that's just who Ohio State is. So, Rutgers fans, put this game in the back of your memory. Watch it. It's at 3.30. You have time to pregame beforehand, which might not be a bad idea before this. And just kind of put this one in the rear view because you're playing the best team in the Big Ten and one of the best in the country. That concludes the power rankings. We're going to get into a little more about Ohio State football with Stephen Means of Cleveland.com. I am now joined by Ohio State football beat writer Stephen Means of Cleveland.com. Stephen, thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on.
0: First, I want to start with um, kind of the vibe around Ohio State. At Big Ten Media Day, Ryan Day spoke about the three goals that Ohio State seems to have every year. Um, He highlighted beating the team up north. Winning the Big Ten, winning a national title, you know, as the goals for Ohio State each year. None of those happened last season. Coming into this season, Ohio State, clearly one of the top three teams in the nation. So far, they're looking like, you know, that angry team. Has there been kind of a little extra determination, a little extra um, intensity you've seen around the team this season so far?
1: Sure. I think, I mean, the Michigan game is going to be what it is, especially once we get to that week. But, I don't know if there's anything extra to like we've been paying attention to. I think this team is just going about normal. Now the toughness thing, I think they've tried to tap into that a little bit more, especially we saw that against Notre Dame with I think they had like a fifteen play drive where they made it a point to run that ball. But I don't they haven't gone over the top, which is a good thing. I think sometimes when you see things go negatively, you can see teams try to overcorrect themselves. They haven't done that. They know what they are, their identity is in the past game, they but they have one to improve in the run game and in the red zone especially on defense. And I think a lot of those things got corrected in the offseason. But it hasn't been the biggest talking point in the way that maybe it is amongst us media members and, of course, fans.
0: C.J. Stroud seems to be the early favorite for the Heisman. You know, Many are even saying through four games that he could be running away with the award. Um, he was elite last year, put up huge numbers. How, how have you seen him improve even more to this point, especially looking um, – into his career, potentially the NFL, but coming off a season where he threw for 4,400 yards and 44 touchdowns, you know how have you seen him improve off that?
1: Yeah, he's just in more control, and that just comes with experience and time. You know, they've put a little bit more on his plate, especially pre-snap at there at the line of scrimmage. Um, he's one of the smartest football players I've ever met in my life, especially the way he talks about the game. But it's just natural progression. I don't. He's not the physical marvel he's not going to run the way that we saw Justin Fields run he's not the best athlete in the world but what he makes up for from a mental capacity and also the way he anticipates throws his accuracy his ball placement that makes being able to make all the throws we're just seeing that to another extreme because he does have a full year under his belt and I think last year you could make the case that OK, yeah, he looked good because he had Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, two first round receivers. And then Jackson Smith, the Jake probably a first rounder as well. Anybody could look good there. Well, he doesn't have Garrett Wilson. He doesn't have Chris Olave. And for all but eight, 38 snaps this season, he hasn't had Jackson Smith, the jigba, and Yet this offense is still buzzing while also creating some new stars, especially in that receiving room. So it's just a natural progression that you should expect to see from a quarterback.
0: You wrote an interesting piece on Kyle McCord and kind of how he's being used in these games as well, you know, especially late when they're lopsided. Um, he was mentioned last, last prior to last season um, since Ohio State was not returning any experience under center for 2021. Is Ryan Day preparing um, Kyle McCord a little bit to take over, or is there going to be a battle? And I only ask this because, again, we might – Rutgers fans might be seeing Kyle McCord a little later <laughs> in this game on Saturday.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would really hope, with, with all due respect to Rutgers fans – and I know people listen to the book I talked don't think I have any respect for that fan base. But there's a good chance we see a lot of Kyle McCord in that second <laughs> half. Just because, let's just be honest here, we know what this is. And I, I wouldn't say he's being prepared outright to be the starter. There's going to be a battle. Him and a uh, third stringer Devin Brown, who's a true freshman right now, going through that progression. Those will be the two guys battling it out in the, in the spring to be the successor to just, I mean, excuse me, C.J. Stroud. More than likely... Kyle McCord does win that battle, though, just because of his experience and the arm talent. And he does have a start under his belt. But we we just haven't had a chance to necessarily see the backup quarterback as much as you would expect, because Ohio State's been in some of these games a little longer than we would maybe expect. And so you don't get to see the backups until late into the fourth quarter. And so if that's the case, let's just say C.T. has five touchdown passes at the end of the first half and midway through the third quarter. They start pulling starters. We should see a lot of Kyle McCord. And I think everybody's a little antsy to see what he looks like in year two in the program, especially because of the experience he got last year.
0: You mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba as well. What's um? He's obviously missed some time this season. Um, how's his injury progressing? What's his status um, this week so far?
1: Yeah, they're not going to rush it. We'll find out when they put that availability report for whatever that's worth at this point with Ohio state, because it's been a little iffy lately, whether he's a game time decision, whether he plays, whether he's out. I just got back from player interviews and he was stretching and it looked like he went through practice. Now we didn't watch practice. I don't know what that means. He could have done one thing or two things or been through the entire practice, but we'll see. Right. Uh, He came back against uh, Toledo. Maybe he came back a little bit too soon. And then obviously didn't play uh, last week against Wisconsin. And so we'll see with him. I I would, I doubt he plays against Rutgers. Maybe a better way to look at this is maybe he plays against that Michigan State, or maybe they just sit him through the bye week and then bring him back with a fresh start for the second half of the season. But I, it doesn't appear like we should be expecting Jackson Smith and Jigba to play against Rutgers this week. And if he does, I'd be kind of shocked pleasantly, obviously.
0: You mentioned as well, the passing attack has continued to thrive. Um, Obviously CJ Stroud uh, making the improvements um, and the growth, as you mentioned, but Having the secondary receivers of last year being able to step up into this role and really um, emerge into stars, and you mentioned again losing two two first rounders and basically two top ten picks, Chris Olave being picked, you know, eleventh by New Orleans, eleventh or twelfth, I forgot what that was. But how important has it been for these secondary receivers? Have Ohio State breeds receivers? We know that. Does it look like you know guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Igbuka are going to be you know the next wave of Ohio State receivers?
1: Yeah, and to answer your question bluntly, I mean, that's the way Mark, uh, Brian Hartline recruited this room. When you bring in a bunch of five stars and top 100 recruits and sons of Hall of Famers and whatever else you want to identify them as, you expect this to keep going. You expect it to be more of a reload instead of a, a rebuild situation. And, you know, Kara Wilson and Chris Olave, we even tell you when we would talk to them a lot last year and even off camera, it's says, yeah, we're really good, but the dudes behind us might be better. Like Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, first of all, his name is Marvin Harrison Jr., so you know the pedigree he comes from. That might be wide receiver one in the 2024 NFL draft. Emeka Buka was the top receiver in the 2021 recruiting class. Look at him now. Julian Fleming's finally healthy. He was the number one recruit in the 2020 class, and he's starting to flash as well. So, yeah, this is is the expectation for Brian Hartman. We saw it with Bama a couple of years back when, They had Jerry, Judy, and Henry Ruggs go first round one year, and then the next year was Devontae Smith and Jalen Guadal. We might see that times – Three, where it might be two, three years in a row, four years in a row, where there's multiple first round receivers coming out of that receiver room because of the way Hardline One is recruiting it and then also how he's developing these guys.
0: I was a big advocate too last year of Smith and Jigba, as good as Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are. I would watch Ohio State each week and be like, Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the best receiver on this team right now with two top, you know, potentially top 10 picks in the room. And then when you look at this Ohio State backfield, um Travion Henderson emerges as a true freshman as one of the best in the nation and comes in this year high expectations obviously he's performing and then you got Mayan Williams coming in and doing what he's doing a true two-headed monster in that backfield how's the offense kind of been utilizing this run game and splitting the carries between the two
1: yeah, it's uh, – Trey the starting running back, and what we've seen so far is every third series, that's when mine comes in. They've tried this two-back system before in the past. They did it with J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber in 17 and 18. They, like, tried to do it in 2020 with Trey Sermon and Master T. And in both of those situations, it didn't work. It didn't work with J.K. and Mike because J.K. kept fighting it. And then as soon as he got to just have the ball in 2019, 2,000 yards – uh, school record and in 2020 for a long time either Trey Sermon or Master Teague was playing well enough and so that's why it wasn't working and then all of a sudden Trey Sermon turned into Ezekiel Elliott for the end of the season against Clemson and, and in the Big Ten Championship game which nobody saw coming. This time around it feels like one Travion Henderson as the clear better back from a talent standpoint and a ceiling standpoint isn't fighting it because he signed up for it but then also it's a way to get them through the season. I think you're going to need Travion Henderson to carry the ball 25 times a game and against the Penn States and against a playoff team down the stretch. But when you're talking about a 12-game season, when you're selling this idea of you got to get these guys through a year, I, it's, it's understandable why they're using both of them. And what's helping is both of them are running at a high level. Tracer, I mean, excuse me, Travion Henderson's played well, and Mayan Williams has been a lot better than maybe anybody thought he would be when he first committed to Ohio State. And so for now it's working, but – come talk to me against Penn State or Alabama or Georgia or Clemson and these games where the talent is equated a little bit, if it's still a two-back system or they just give the ball to Travion Henderson.
0: I'm going to defer to you when we speak about the defense, and this is going to sound like a very broad question, but it feels like that unit really hasn't been tested to this point. Um, and it's, it's not going to be once again on Saturday. Again, I'd be very, very surprised if that was the case. So again, it's going to sound a little broad, but the strength of this Ohio State defense, if you had to pinpoint it, what would you say they're best at so far?
1: The defensive line is playing well, and I understand they're not getting sacks but nobody gets sacks anymore. I think somebody wrote an article where George only had one sack so far this year. And that's one of the better defense. That's not a good way to gauge whether the defensive line is playing well because a lot has to go right for you to finish off with a sack. I think the defensive line has consistently gotten pressure. Um, JT Tui Maloa and Jack Sawyer and that new role as a Jack, we know they have stepped up and, be, you know, look like. Former five star recruits. Mike Hall has been a dude on the interior in a way that from a guy who basically didn't have a role last year as a true freshman, he has really blossomed here in year two. Uh, Teron Vincent looks great. Talik Williams and Spurts looks great. Zach Harrison is a little, he's an elite defensive end. He's not a sack guy, but against the run, containing the quarterback, all the other things you expect to see from a defensive end, he's very good at. Tommy Eichenberg, I mean, He might be one of the better linebackers in the country, which nobody thought was going to be the case in his career. And the way Jim Knowles uses him as a weapon has been elite. The only real question about this defense right now is quarterback, both from a depth standpoint and then also from a production standpoint. Denzel Burke hasn't necessarily taken that next step from a guy we saw last year who was pretty good for a true freshman, and then Cam Brown. But also he's been hurt. Cam Brown has is, is been hurt. He's been dealing with some stuff. We haven't seen Jordan Hancock, who was supposed to be the third guy in that bunch, who's been dealing with an injury. So they're just not healthy there. So one, can that group get healthy? But then also, can we see just better play from that group? The problem is they play in the Big Ten where there aren't a lot of teams who are going to test that secondary in the passing game. So that's not a question we can answer for right now. But I do think we see signs that this defense is better. We just haven't necessarily seen an offense yet who can test it, and make sure we can stamp that validation. But the second half of the season will show some of that.
0: I was going to highlight the linebackers um, because, like I said, Rutgers, um, they've had injuries at quarterback, but even when healthy, they yeah. don't have the best um, the best options there. It's hard to – when you have multiple quarterbacks coming into a season, that usually means you don't have one strong option. That's kind of where Rutgers is at. But they have shown a little bit of speed in the backfield um, – and they recycle a lot of running backs in and out over the course of the game. So how's the Ohio State linebackers in terms of speed, sideline to sideline, also plugging up the holes, um, helping that defensive line in the run game?
1: Yeah, they play three. Tommy Eichenberg plays every meaningful snap possible at that Mike linebacker spot. While Cody Simon, who was a Mike linebacker last year, and then Steele Chambers, a former running back turned linebacker, they kind of split that Will linebacker spot. Like I said, Tommy Eichenberg somehow became one of the best linebackers in the country, and it's been impressive to watch him this year. He was his Big Ten player of the week this past week with 14 tackles. He is uh, is elite at this point. It's fair to call him an elite football player. While Steel Chambers and and Cody Simon, they bring different things to that little linebacker spot. They're not always perfect. They leave their feet sometimes and get a little bit undisciplined, but I do think the linebackers are better than they were last year, and that isn't just like a – insult to last year's linebackers that were horrid that's a legitimate thing that the linebackers are better one because I think from day one this defensive coaching staff even if they were new knew exactly who their best players were but then also guys are just playing better
0: and when you look at Ohio State this might not necessarily be a question again concerning the Rutgers matchup Um, but down the season you mentioned seeing more of the team in the second half as the competition gets stiffer um, and heading obviously into bowl season, the potential college football playoff, Big Ten title game, all of that stuff. If Rutgers, uh, if Rutgers, excuse me, if Ohio State has a vulnerable area, I know you mentioned the secondary, but if they're vulnerable on either side of the ball, um, where would you say that position would be? And there might not be one to this point, as I mentioned, only four games into the season and not really many big tests.
1: Yeah, it's probably cornerback at this point. The safeties, Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, Tanner McAllister, Lathan Ransom, they're good. The linebackers, as we just talked about, they're playing better than they were last year. The defensive line has probably been the best, at least the best unit overall from top to bottom, especially those top guys. And then on offense, I mean, we know what the checker out is at Ohio State It is on offense at this point since they arrived here. So really the only position group where you go, is that the group that's going to hold them back from being a national championship team? It's the cornerbacks. So, We're seeing guys like J.K. Johnson get reps because guys are out. Jair Brown flashed against Wisconsin as a true freshman getting real reps. So if that cornerback play continues to get better throughout the season, one thing we are seeing in college football, there's not necessarily a complete team right now. I think Alabama on – Offense is basically the Bryce Young show, and that's about it. USC is basically Oklahoma and Los Angeles right now. While I think Georgia is probably the closest, but like Stetson Bennett isn't C.J. Stroud. And so I think Ohio State right now maybe have the best chance to be the most complete team, but it does kind of rest on, is this cornerback play going to get better the rest of the year? Because everything else is either already elite or has shown you enough promise to know that it's not going to hold this team back.
0: And of course, before I let you go, Ohio State comes in as a 40-point favorite. We all know the history. They've been able to put this game away early, maybe take their foot off the gas. Again, we've seen them score 77 against Toledo this season, so it might be a different feel around this offense. Give me a final score in this game. Do you think Rutgers will be able to keep it within six touchdowns, within that number of 40 in the second
1: half? No, I don't. <laughs> final score? Who? I haven't even thought of a final score yet. It's a hard one
0: to. I haven't really put. I haven't put a number to it tough.
1: yet. It's like, and I don't know if I want to give this away here because we got to. We got to do it. I have not give it away. I'll just say this: I think they'll cover. Ohio State will cover, um, and I think they hit sixty. But I do. I do think that Rutgers can get at least seventeen points. Well, I'll they? say that. With a That's to- a very lazy
0: score. For all our betters out there, too, with a total of 59, we, you're expecting Ohio State to get that on their own. So if they take anything out of this, yeah. take the over in that game. Steven, thank oh, yeah. you again for joining me. I appreciate the time discussing the matchup.
1: Anytime, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Be sure to follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to the On The Banks podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search On The Banks.